Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. In today's episode, we're talking to two of the grandees of the city. We're talking to Sir Stuart Lipson, who single-handedly built the city, it's fair to say, and really drove his vision through for Broadgate. He was one of the first developers in the industry to really focus on bringing in first-class architects to development of offices, something they previously always had to be cajoled into designing before Stuart came along and broke the mould. Um, one figure who's never been afraid or, or needed to be cajoled into offices is Jack Pringle. He built one of London's most successful and influential interior design practices through Pringle Brandon, and that merged with Perkins and Will in 2012. There was a former Reba president, Jack, like Sir Stuart, is known for speaking his mind. He's known for helping influence major blue chip thinkers uh, in, in, well, in changing their minds, really, and essentially just been known as one of the pioneers of the corporate interiors world over the past few decades. As part of the global architecture and design practice at Perkins and Will, Jack's supporting the UK MD Stephen Charlton in pushing out the firm's growth across the UK and Europe and follows major project wins in the city and across Oxford and Cambridge Arc with projects like Oxford Science Park as well as the company's uh, brilliant, brilliant win last year of the European Commission's new HQ in Brussels. So Stuart, meanwhile, uh, is continuing what can only be described really as a, as a 30-year heyday, uh, let's be honest about it, um, and uh, obviously everyone has been watching closely how 22 Bishopsgate is going up. And I began by asking Sir Stuart whether he agreed with the assertion some people are making that London has peaked and, and asking him whether he thought the city was really dead. The city is far from dead. In fact, it's recreating itself as it does regularly. It's the best city in the world. It's got people, skills, architecture, fun. It's very diverse. Music. Um, this is the most interesting place on the planet. I, I mean, I guess people would expect you to say that. Um, so it's that, that, that's not a surprise. But in, in terms of how this compares to previous cycles, previous recessions, you've been developing in London, in the centre for London, longer than most people have been alive. And you, you're still, still coming up to your heyday uh, now. Um, but how does this differ? Okay, so in 1964, George Brown came along as part of the government and he instigated the, um, a ban on development of offices in central London. The Brown ODPs, if I remember correctly. Firstly, you had the Brown ban, and then, Jack, as you said, the ODP. So who was Brown for just for people that weren't there in the 60s or at least weren't paying attention to this in the 60s? Who's, who's Brown? George Brown was um, number two minister to Mr. Wilson. Was it Wilson at the time or was it Cal? Uh, I think it was Will. I don't know. I think at the end of Wilson. And he was quite a character. He um, was a great uh, bon viveur. Uh, could give you good alcoholic descriptions at midnight. Um, but he came along and he did a great favour to London office developers in the early 60s by this ban on office development and the requirement for an office development permit leading to the location of offices bureau whose intent was to build up the suburbs. So that was round one. 
So he was the deputy leader of the Labour Party as well in the 60s, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Round two was... The, the, the offices were considered vulgar in some ways. You know, no decent architect would design an office in the uh, 60s and 70s. I'll come to that if I may. <laughs> Just giving a quick synopsis to your answer. In the 73 recession, we were all going to be dead. In the 80 two recession. So every decade, uh, 80s were particularly relevant because IBM invented the personal computer. The 90s we began to have offshoring. 2007 the banking world was going to come to an end and yet the city has gone on growing. Why is it growing? It's because uh, the boys want to meet the girls. 20% of office marriages go on in office locations. Uh, the boys want to know what's going on in their office. Is that a real number, Stuart, if you just made that up? No, no, it is a real number. Be good to check. Well, what's the source? I'm, I'm subbing uh, I'm, I'm, the, the next point... Uh, off, off the leasing material from 22. No, no, it's not you with 22. <laughs> the, so, uh, the next point is that... Uh, Anybody with any adventure in them goes to work in the city to do a number of things. A, a, to advance themselves. Secondly, to know what's going on in their company. And thirdly, what's my competitor doing? Is he going to be offering me a job? And uh, those people who are in clusters need to be in a cluster. You can't have a cluster in your flat. And uh, they want to be in the company of inventive people, people who are creative. So I would agree that the city may decline in its non-creatives. So I suggest that um, life will go on, the transport system will need further upgrades, but cities are unique places. They work for, for fun, for business, for variety, they're national, international, and they are essentially about meeting places. And as much as, uh, Jack, some people in your, your example of uh, the back bedroom would like to uh, have an orgy of activity, if that's the right description of it, um, I can think of other versions. Um, I don't think meetings in the back bedroom are going to be productive. Well, I think, I think, well, there's, perhaps I could just sort of uh, underline some of the things you've said. I completely agree uh, with what you've said, but there are some other things too. I think ever since after the Big Bang, when Margaret Thatcher uh, released the city, deregulated the city in the mid-80s, and then the city reacted to the challenge of Canary Wharf, the city has been remarkably agile in responding to each recession as it's come along, either by creating uh, space types that were needed that weren't there before, or moving to new business types. Uh, for example, after the 2008 recession, when the banks went to the Sinbin, you saw a lot of other businesses coming into the city. And one of the reasons for that is the city is uh, a replica of businesses, but it's also very good value for money in terms of 
you know, central London, the, the, the rates are considerably cheaper than the West on End. That, on that point, Jack, rent, rent, rents in 1987 were £71 pounds a foot. They are the same today. So in real terms, they are half. Yeah, it, it's deflated and it's shown its competitive edge. And the other, the other great piece of luck that the city's had is its cheap bijou with special um, uh, fields and uh, you know the startup community in Shoreditch. And you would think that these were chalk and cheese, but actually, I think the city feeds off that very, very well. Do you, do you not see a lot of startups moving out though? Because I mean, that this is the thing: is you know, seventy-one pound a foot might not sound a lot of money for for you know for the, for the financial community, but for a startup, that's a lot of money when you throw in all of the other costs. So, do you not see that uh, a risk here to the city that whilst those previous cycles of regeneration have taken place as you describe, actually a lot of the a lot of the inbound uh, tenants now might just say, actually, you know what, I'm going to stick here in zone five, zone six, or I've got trees and I've got a garden and I don't have to pay £71 a foot for office space um, and I'll go and take up a couple of shops. I, I think, think if you start up scale, they'll want to come into where the action is. Well, people who might well suffer are we work. If you're sitting at home paying nothing, you might be reluctant to pay £240 a square foot in we work. Because uh, those startups, you're quite right, um, have been a considerable growth factor. But the city is not expensive. Uh, and rents in London generally are not expensive. A few exceptions in Mayfair and St. James. Your Farringdon's pretty expensive. I can, tell you, I can tell you from personal experience that Farringdon's pretty expensive. Where? where? Farringdon. Uh, Farringdon, Midtown. Yeah, but that proves the point that you were making. Tech companies have driven rents up. Farringdon now leasing at £80 a square foot. There's a reason for it. Great transport, potentially, and community. And that's why Jack's points about the small back room are relevant. People want to be with others. So what, what does spaces need to look like? So, we, we, you know, one of the phrases, so Stuart, that you've used is around your hatred of, of, of battery farming people and how you want to see organic free-range offices. Tell us a bit about well, what that means and what, what does Jack's profession need to be doing better? Um, before I started on 22 Bishopsgate, I did a project at Chiswick 20 years ago which had a brand Enjoy Work. And I think the reality is that work and home have merged. What do you do when you wake up in the morning? You're a couple... What's the first thing you do? I don't know what um, the odds are, but my odds personally from my personal polling are that virtually everyone looks at their phone within 10 minutes of waking up. No question, absolutely, of course. So that tells me that work and home have merged. And what do you do when you go to bed? Again, you probably look at your phone. So what we, and Jack's doing this, and hopefully we are, 20 years ago at Chiswick, enjoy work. Go to a place which is stimulating and interesting. So at Chiswick, not only are the buildings great, signed by Richard Rogers, the space is good. You could have a guitar lesson, a stress lesson. You could play a game against your competitor next door. 
there's plenty of life and activity. So we have, because of the social change, got to make the office building a place so that when you walk in, you don't feel it's like a mausoleum. It shouldn't have stone on the walls and floor. It should have art and activity and somebody telling you what's going on. Perhaps a TED talk and should have amenities. It should be full of light, technology. And in the current post-virus environment, it'll have devices where it's touchless, where there will eventually be different mechanical systems using ultraviolet light and other gadgets in lifts and floor space, air floors, and the city's going to go on. Uh, it'll reinvent itself yet again. But to me, Jack, that means that a lot more new buildings are required. Well, let, let me just come... Your uh, reference to uh, Chiswick Park, uh, I find very interesting because you produced a very advanced campus there 20 years ago. We did our first agile working project for an offshoot of one of the banks probably 25 years ago. And for about 20 years, we wondered why nobody was taking this up because it was so obviously the way forward. And in fact, it was not until after the 2008 recession, uh, and referencing again the change that comes after recessions, that people really started to embrace agile working and a much more socially based, collaboratively based office, but still not really trusting working from home or wanting to introduce that into most offices. Well, we've now had a crash course in working from home. And, and surprise, surprise, managers have found out that they can trust their staff to work from home. And I've heard staff saying, you know what, I feel really good about my manager trusting me to work. But actually, I'd like to come into the office now and again. But nobody's going to flog into the office to sit behind a desk and do their email or write a report when they have experienced pretty satisfactory working from home for these sort of activities. So the use of the office is going to be much more about face-to-face -face meetings, much more about the sort of brainstorming activity, much more about a sort of club uh, activity, about where you can come and, and really get to know people and have great ideas that help drive your business forward. So I think this experience of COVID-19 is actually going to yet again propel uh, a different way of working forward which was coming quite slowly. And if, if I've been frustrated about anything in, in the workplace over the last 25 years, it's been the slow rate of acceptance of innovation. Very conservative managers, very conservative agents, while the, the direction of travel has been pretty obvious to a lot of people. Jack, have you been to Macquarie in Sydney? No, but we did Macquarie in London. Well, I think Macquarie in London is very good. But Macquarie have two buildings in Sydney. You go up to the first floor. The first thing you see is a coffee shop. And there are people waiting in line, probably waiting for three minutes because Macquarie timed the wait required for you to talk to your colleagues. And this point that Jack is making is absolutely relevant. And around Macquarie's office, you'll see people walking 
around chatting to each other. There's food everywhere. There are desks. Uh, there are sofas, bars, you name it, different places. And they are working in groups with yellow stickers, brainstorming the issues. You can feel the pulse of that organization. There are five Australian, other Australian banks in Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. And Jack, we need that kind of environment. Yeah, well, Macquarie have been a, uh, a, an early adopter, if you like, and they have led the way. But others have been quite slow to follow. And you, you can see, you know, I've been to some major banks, you can see the fear in their eyes because they know they've been slow to follow. They know that they're being disrupted by other people. They know that fintech is going to blow them out of the water. And they need to have the courage themselves to move forward. And surely this event is going to be, you know, the disruptor that's going to make people actually take the plunge. But Jack, taking your point, are major corporates going to have, take the opportunity of having a clear out of people because of the point you make? I suspect much of the publicity we've been hearing about home working from major corporates is actually saying, I'm overmanned, but I don't dare have a clear out. And we are now, as you've said, in a world where it is a competition for talent, where I haven't been to my bank uh, probably for a couple of years. I get an occasional invite and life has changed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, when you look at, uh, I, I guess, at the current viewpoint, though, if you look at any of the listed real estate businesses, share prices are on the floor. Everyone's pretty negative about everything right now. So how do we, how does the industry, the, the real estate industry come out of this? How does the architecture profession come out of this with any semblance of its life still intact? Well, why don't we look at the option? So if we had home working, are you going to commute in, into town? Are you going to go to the theatre again? Are you going to the films again? Are you going to drink in a bar again? Because your local high street is a tip. You can't pee and park in your local high street. All this stuff about high streets being an opportunity of revival, if none of them apart from Kensington High Street have had any money spent on it, is it a surprise that they're failing? And why would you want to go to a failed high street? So let's get some reality into this conversation. What they want to do on a high street is fine you 50 quid. What they want to do is do everything they can to avoid the realities of life. So to me, the high street should have a town square or a village green. So in answer to the question of who will survive, market towns, cathedral towns, university towns have all got amenities. The rest of them have got nothing. You want to go to a place, you go to work, you work hard now, you want, some, you want a drink in the evening or some entertainment, talk to some friends, go on a date. Let's get real. Our towns have been deserted by local government and government for decades. Victor Gruen invented the shopping centre in 1959. He built dozens of them, but he talked about place. And we're back to nature. We all like place. So what, what Stuart Lipton, what, what, what sort of infrastructure do we need to put in place to, to help that then? Because 
right now what we're seeing is that there is actually a, man, a, a magic money tree. It's a pretty big magic money tree and, and the government's continuing to give it a good shake. So if we shake it a little bit more, what should we be looking to, 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 to pull out? In terms Get back of- to reality. Let's stop this dream that Mary Porthouse is going to revive High Street. And let's start looking at the essential ingredients. There are plenty of people in the property world who will give you smart advice. We have the best architects in the world in the UK. We're very lucky, very talented, skillful people. Um, so let's get them planning our towns and cities and let's make them enjoyable. If I go to Oxford Street, why can't I go find a toilet? Basic necessity stuff. Where would I prefer to go? Westfield, with a ton of amenities, or Oxford Street, rather sad. Now, okay, Oxford Street, the, the new West End company is trying hard. But we've got to go away from trying hard to real bravery by local authorities, government. I think government's going to actually take up the cudgel here uh, and make some changes. Robert Jenrick is going places in planning. That's the first ingredient. Second ingredient is brave new world. Let's do decent projects. I tried to do a project in 1982 with Richard Rogers, just behind the National Theatre on Coin Street. It's still sitting half developed. It's shameful. It was bold. But if we have people we can trust in architecture, just like Jack has been at the cutting edge of this, why can't we let them use their skills? So, so what needs to change then, Jack Pringle, in terms of, uh, I guess, speeding stuff up and enacting the kind of change that Stuart Lipton's describing, what, what needs to be different this recession from the last few? Well, I think, I think that there's two sides to this coin. One is the people who own the businesses and the other is, if you like, the people who own the towns. There's absolutely no question that work and social life has become more and more mixed and not not just linked, but mixed, completely interlaced. You socialize at work and and you work in your social life and people love being in cities. There's been a drift all over the world to urbanization because that's where you have a great time and that's where also work uh, flourishes. So we definitely need better cities. But if you look at the city itself, it's been quite a good example of that 20 years ago there were hardly any decent shops or bars or restaurants in the city when i first came to the city there were only two restaurants worth eating in and a lot has been done in the city to socialize it if you like so that needs to happen our urban realm is absolutely terrible you know you go to the continent and you see endless great examples even up in glasgow the urban realm is fantastic and, you know, in London and in many of our cities, it's desultory. It's like out of the 1950s. The cities need to be vastly improved in their urban realm because people work in the city. The boundary, the office doesn't start at the office door. The office is also in the city. That's where people meet and mix and work and think and talk and have great ideas. So our city leaders need to do all of that great stuff to help turbocharge our recovery. Uh, Jack, I think, the people- Jack, I think we've got to think beyond just the office. 
Well, that's what I'm saying, uh, uh, Stuart, but I also want to turn to the office. Offices are briefed and planned by senior to middle managers. And those, I think actually the senior management needs to have the vision to drive really creative change into the office landscape to get the best out of it. So let I me give you an example, Jack, of how you could combine real change. Uh, Euston Road, the absolute biotech centre of London. Yeah, Crick and its halo. Crick, the Welcome, UCL, UCH. Yeah. Surrounded by public housing, which needs redevelopment, better environments. And it could be higher density. That public housing has got no amenity. It's really desperate. And I know that Camden are trying, but the system is, as Jack is saying, is so enveloped in fear. Will the local people like it or hate it? But the reality of a good city is it's people, it's business, it's spaces, it's retail. It's not just one item. So the revival surely starts with housing. Everyone should be entitled to a decent roof over their head. And they shouldn't be rat holes, they should be spacious. Why is it that we can't have better housing? It's because land prices are too high. And why are land prices too high? It's because of planning policy, which restricts the number of units. How can- just, just, just coming back to the city, so I'm just, just a little bit conscious of time. I think it's a great, it's a great point, Sir Stuart. Um, but in, in in terms of how we how we regenerate the city this time around in a responsible way, what are some of the things you think ministers need to consider? So if we, if you're thinking about the what what kind of planning policy we need going forward in the city, what should that look like? Are are we do we need to 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 reflect the the change that we're seeing with a greater flexibility around change of view? Do we need to do we need more relaxation on density? How should we be thinking about forget all these? Uh, forget all these ideas of complexity. We need a competitive market, a free market. And the reason that we have much more problems in planning is there's a lack of competition. If housing was plentiful, people would be busting a gut to build good designs, more space, better architecture. We are creating our own problems. So more housing, better spaces, better quality design, some sort of judgment and standardization. The Victorians and Georgians love Georgian terraces and Victorian mansion blocks. Let's return to all that. This is not genius. This is just common sense. Uh, Jack, Jack Pringle, in terms of, uh, you know, from your point of view on the, on the workspace side, how do you see things evolving now we're currently still in this slightly ridiculous phase of everybody pretending that offices are going to be decked out with everyone sat two meters apart and one-way pathways around office premises which will probably last all of about five minutes until somebody wants to go and speak to jack or jill over over in the corner realistically how's workspace design going to evolve over the next few months 
Well, I think I think for the next year it's going to be quite difficult because social distancing is probably going to uh, still be in place until a vaccine or an effective treatment is rolled out. Finding it is one thing and rolling it out is another. So, yeah, I think we're going to have this uh, hybrid model of a lot of working from home and probably only having about 40% or 30% of people in the office. I think we're going to have to get used to taking more risk. I mean, one of the issues that nobody seems to have really grappled with is how, you know, how much of a contact do you really need uh, to, to be infected? Is it one second? Is it 15 minutes? Yes. Well, where's the, you know, where's the, the break-even point? So I think we need to know a little bit more about that type of thing. But I think we're going to have a difficult year. And you know, clearly, businesses are going to want to get back in business. But a lot of staff are going to be very nervous. I mean, I know talking to my own staff, even some quite young people are are nervous about traveling into work, they're nervous about working with people who they don't know where they've been, as it were. So it's going to be a difficult time. And we are, you know, we're going to have an interesting effect on property demand. There's no question we'll be going into a recession. In George Osborne's article, last Saturday and the Sunday Times was very interesting and that he thought the recovery could be very quick because the banking system is still intact and the banking system is what you need to be able to fund uh, a, a recovery unlike 2008 when the banking system wasn't intact. We're going to have quite a long bath-shaped recession I guess and then we'll hopefully have a steep climb out and I think what you know my profession can do is just help our clients as much as possible uh, be as flexible and agile and as quick as we possibly can to help our clients through each of the phases that come along in terms of how they can occupy their offices at their very best. Um, uh, can I, I'm going to challenge what you've said, if I may. Support your wartime spirit. The British are very innovative. We're, we're a smart nation. We've got the best scientists, some great business ideas, some great tech people. So we've got to work our way out of this. So I can see people coming in early to the city of London, real early, working half days, deciding when they need to be in the office. So at 22 Bishopsgate, our Microsoft-designed building uh, information system, our smart building tech, can measure people coming into the office. How many? Is it full? So you may have to book your time in the office. You can do that at 22. You may have to vary your hours, but there are a lot of other buildings which are going to be empty. So in the city, there are all the livery companies who've got spaces. There are plenty of places that can be used for meetings. We just should take this opportunity, as you said a number of times today, of change. And uh, it's a transport system. So there's still a lot of people with cars. Why did the mayor introduce charges again on entering London? Why can't people drive in? Uh, There are plenty of red lines, yellow lines. Let's break all the lines. Let's get people in so they feel confident, Jack. So is the problem that, is 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 it a lack of joined up thinking or is it just a lack of common sense? It's both. I think we do need to just break this mould. There's a lot of uh, pre-existing things that need to go, need to go in the bin. 
And, and actually, curiously, your uh, suggestion of working extending hours and shifts is exactly what I put in the, the Day of the Life article I wrote for Building Magazine about six weeks ago. And it's what they're doing in the rest of the world, not least China, where we have an office. And I, where I have to say the government has been much more organized in the rollout of its app and then coordinating the travel systems, etc. But sure, we, we, we need to do the extraordinary to facilitate whatever our businesses need to happen to make them get back on the road again. But let me give you just one point, which you'll know better than me, Jack. Actual occupancy of most buildings is 50%. Doesn't matter what the density is, at any one moment, half the time the office isn't full. So if we had a system of regulating when we need to be in the office, that could bring a lot more people in. And joking apart, people have been enjoying parks. Well, why not put up some temporary buildings? Uh, temporary buildings wherever we can. Uh, there's been a lot of road closure discussion. Put some temporary buildings in London Wall, tents. Let people meet there. Um, I, I think, I think for, for most office buildings, the sort of buildings that you and I deal with, uh, Stuart, uh, there's going to be no problem in getting 100% of the people back working because you know but half of them can work from home at any one time anyway and then the other half in the office i think people will find that a perfectly productive paradigm so i i don't think there's going to be a great problem actually in getting uh, a, a productive business going again provided it's got business to do and but inevitably we're going into a recession uh, and the climate is the issue well, look, let, let's bring things to a close, gentlemen. Before we do so, can, can I get from, from each of you one piece of advice that, that you'd give to your younger selves uh, or, or that you might impart to, to others that are just starting out their careers, whether it's in, in development, Sir Stuart or Jack in design and architecture. Clearly, you guys have been at the top of your game for some time you've inspired many generations of people in in your respective parts of the market uh, and and now more than ever people are going to be looking to 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 people like you for a bit of guidance on, on how they manage themselves right now so what would you share with with younger people in in this space sir stuart on the development side i've always been led by what the customer wants i've tried to build buildings which are designed for the customer rather than for the industry. So if you do your homework and you talk to people like Jack, you talk to Joe Public, what is it they want? I'll give you an example. Uh, cafes in office buildings um, will allow people to stay on the ground floor rather than go take guests up to their floor. Just think through the process of life and think about social change, think how tech will change life, but also think of where there is value. Be a contracyclical. Don't build with the masses. Just try and find out what is it that the future is about. And you know, I'm a great fan of research, homework, asking the customer, um, do the simple things that you yourself can gather freely. And Jack Pringle, from your perspective on on the design and architecture side, as a as a former Reba president, um, someone that that's led and 
sold a very, very, uh, uh, in a very well-run practice. What are some of the things that you would advise to people coming through their career right now? Well, two things. Uh, first of all, have a great time. Enjoy what you do. Uh, how many, how secondly, many cars, before we move on to the next one, just, just for the record, how many cars have you have you written off over the years? I don't think you better go into that. No. <laughs> Okay. Is, uh, I can assure you, Jack's never done anything dangerous <laughs> <laughs> on the road. On the road. Yeah. <laughs> I do wish that was true. Uh, so, first of all, have a great time. And if you do have a great time, you'll probably do better work. Uh, I, I think our good architects are great problem solvers. And I think what uh, my younger self, if, if, presuming if he had any talent, should look at what problems need solving. Rather than, what, rather than what problems I would like to solve. So you need to look at what, you know, what needs to be done to drive things forward and to apply your skills to that. And I think if you do that, you'll never be out of work and people will always be grateful. Thank you very much there to Sir Stuart Lipton and to Jack Pringle. Fascinating conversation, bags of insight, as you'd expect, uh, and, and some great, great uh, one-liners as well. Um, please do stay tuned to the next episode of our PropCast, where we're going to be talking to Ian Gray from Homes England, finding out a little bit more out about York Central uh, and the regeneration plans coming, coming afoot there. Um, please do share this PropCast. Please uh, do give us a rating online uh, and get in touch if you'd like to have anything uh, close to your heart discussed over the next few weeks. I've been Andrew Teacher at Blackstock Consulting. Thanks very much for listening.